Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome. It's a Friday morning. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money, and we have got one of your favorite programs. It's a program that I think everybody gains some insight because this guy is extremely knowledgeable. When we come back after the break, you're going to be talking with Kurt Zarnowski. And I mean, Kurt is, of course, the founder and president of founder of President of Zarnowski Consulting. And uh, he is the guy that we dive in with him a lot about Social Security. Always does a great job with us and uh, answers questions. And these are questions that you've asked. And, of course, we're going to be talking about the bipartisan budget bill of 2015, which uh, comes into effect full force on April the 30th, 2016. And he's going to tell us some things that we need to know about what to do and how to dive into that. Secondly, I have Jonathan McAllister with me today, one of the guys from our office, and we're going to kind of move us up from that December rush of making a gift, a financial gift, being philanthropic. We're going to talk about charitable giving today because it's tax time and you're looking at your tax return and you're thinking, I should have, and we're going to stop the should haves, the could haves, the would haves, and we're going to talk about how to start planning today for a full year of charitable giving. You find out that Memphis is the second most charitable city per capita, and it's behind, of course, we'll find out which city it is, where we're second, why we're second, and who's first. But great program for you. That's two people, Kurt Zarnowski and Jonathan McAllister. And along with me today is Jason Harrington. He's going to dive in with Jonathan and both of these guys. He's going to help me on in the driving on the right side of the airplane today and stay with me solid all the way around. But here's the first thing. Here's a thought for you. 29% of American seniors, that's who we're talking about, people that are 65 and older are receiving a monthly pension benefit as a result of their working career in either the public or the private sector. Now, the pension benefits counted in this survey are separate from Social Security. Now, when we come back, Kurt's going to talk about what's going on with Social Security and what you need to know. So stay with us. Kurt Zarnowski, he is with Zarnowski Consulting, and we're going to be dealing with Social Security and retirement. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Jim Shoemaker, Jason Harrington, and Jonathan McAllister are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated Securities Dealer Member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Uh, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. I've got Kurt Zanowski. He is the president and founder of Kurt Zanowski Consulting and a frequent guest of ours because he is, he is the expert when it comes to Social Security and retirement. And we're talking about the bipartisan budget bill of 2015. And I know a lot of you love to hear this guy because he answers your questions. He dives in and gives us the details, but he does it and so we can understand government talk. And Kurt is great at it. Kurt, welcome to the program, sir. 
Good morning, Jim. Great to be back with you. How are you? I am doing great, and uh, I, pre- I guess you know that we are rushing hard and trying to get a lot done because the clock is ticking because April the 30th, 2016, things go away. And that's what I want our listeners to hear from you today. Tell us what's going on with this bipartisan budget bill of 2015. Sure, and there's uh, two big provisions, two big changes coming to what had been referred to as the Social Security claiming strategies, if you will, which were ways that couples could optimize or maximize their lifetime Social Security benefits. Changes are coming to what is called file and suspend, and that's at a more immediate change. That's that April 30th deadline. But then there are also changes coming to the strategy called claim some now, claim more later, or referred to sometimes as someone filing a restricted application just for a spousal benefit. Now, this second strategy goes away a little bit further on down the road. There's more of a grandfathering period, but the more immediate concern for folks has to be the change in the file and suspend strategy. So what's file and suspend? Flowed from a provision in the Senior Citizen Freedom to Work Act, which basically said, and that was passed back in 2000, which basically said once someone had reached his or her full retirement age, they could go to Social Security, file an application for benefits, but then immediately ask to have their monthly payments suspended. Now, if the person asked to have payments suspended, they wouldn't collect anything. And as listeners should know from prior years, we've been talking about this, for each month past your full retirement age that you don't collect your own Social Security retirement benefit, you earn what are called delayed retirement credits, and your monthly benefit grows by two-thirds of a percent, or 8% per year, for as long as you don't collect those payments right up until age 70. So what was the benefit of file and suspend? Well, the benefit of file and suspend was that typical situation where, and the program's totally gender neutral, but for purposes of our discussion today, Jim, we'll assume it was the husband who was the higher wage earner, the wife, a lower wage earner, looking to collect benefits as a spouse on the husband's work record, the file and suspend strategy allowed that husband at full retirement age to apply for retirement benefits, asked to have payments suspended. By doing that, he'd accrue delayed retirement credits, grow his benefit. But by his merely having applied, that opened up the possibility for the wife, in our example, to begin to draw Social Security spousal benefits. Because one of the tenets of the spousal program was that the spouse couldn't collect anything unless and until the other worker had applied for benefits. So the file and suspend strategy basically allowed, again, in our example, a husband to have his cake and eat it too. He could defer collecting his own payment, grow it two-thirds percent per month, eight percent per year, increasing his eventual payout, And, equally importantly, increasing the survivor payment amount that would go to his wife if he passed away first. But it would allow his wife to draw a spousal payment at the same time he wasn't collecting anything. You know, Kurt, let me ask you this question, because this is the question that we got after the last program. And I think it was one – the spousal part, is there a a significant age that – I mean, is there some – restricted age that the spouse has to be at this point? Do they have to be at full retirement, or can they be 10 years younger and get this half of the benefit? The earliest age a spouse can collect benefits, no different than regular retirement benefits. The spouse can't collect anything any earlier than age 62. Now, if the spouse is at his or her full retirement age, they get a full 50% of the other member's full retirement age amount, if they're younger than full retirement age and somewhere between full retirement age and 62, that payment amount gets reduced, much in the the same way someone's own retirement benefit is reduced, you start to take it prior to full retirement age. So the earliest age a spouse can collect, age 62, working your way up towards full retirement age, if you wait all the way until full retirement age, you get the full 50%. Okay, if they get earlier than that, you get less. If they get the fifty percent, now I guess this is where the client came in and asked. All right, they get the fifty percent. 
And if they were collecting prior to, in other words, they started collecting at 62, and then they decided, well, now he's the spouse, the husband in this case, had filed and suspended. Can they now pick up the 50% spousal benefit, or is it going to be reduced by what they were collecting, or is it going to be kind of a, a maximum amount there? Sure. And so let's assume, again, totally gender neutral, but we'll assume it's the wife who has begun collecting a reduced retirement benefit based on her own work activity, say at age 62. She's collecting that. And then a couple of years later, the husband files and suspends. At that point, the wife is now due additional money as a spouse. But because she had started taking her own retirement benefit early and was receiving a reduced retirement benefit, she will never get the full 50% of the husband's full retirement age amount. The only way the spouse will collect exactly 50% is if, in our example, she waited until full retirement age to start collecting anything. But by starting to take it early, payment is reduced, and that reduction carries over, basically, and prevents um, the wife, in our example, from getting to the full 50% of the husband's full retirement age amount. Even now, that's, the, even that's re- the bad news. Even at death? Well, that's what I was about to say. Okay. To segue into, that's the bad news. The good news, though, is the survivor benefit rate is based on 100% of what, the, in our example, the husband had been collecting at the time he passed away. And the good news is, assuming the wife is at least at her full retirement age, when the husband passes away, she'll be eligible to collect 100% of what he had been receiving. Her starting to take her own retirement benefit prior to full retirement age won't impact her ability to collect a full survivor payment. It will impact what she can collect while the husband's still alive. She won't get to the full 50%. But as long as she's at her full retirement age, when he passes away, She'll step up, if you will, to that 100% of his, even if she had started taking her own early. Incidentally, this is one of the other benefits of the husband waiting. I mentioned before, he defers, earns those delayed retirement credits. Not only is his benefit higher when he starts to collect, but it means the survivor payment that will go to his wife if he passes away first is going to be higher as well. Okay. All right. You just tuned in. Of course, you recognize the voice. If you're a frequent listener, this is Kurt Zarnowski. He is with the president and founder of Zarnowski Consulting, and we're talking about the bipartisan budget bill of 2015 and and really diving into two kind of strategies, file and suspend, which is we've talked about many, many times before, and, and claim some now later, claim more later. It's kind of the thought of this idea of a, of a combined strategy. Restricted application. Kurt, explain what it means when we use the term restricted application. Sure, but why don't we finish up on the file and suspend well, first, yes, and then absolutely. we'll move into the second one. So we've talked about file and suspend. So what's the big change that's coming? Well, basically, if someone, well, let's say the husband again, has not filed and suspended by April 29th, all right, or has filed and suspended at some point after that, he certainly can ask to have his payments suspended, and just as in the past, he'll accrue delayed retirement credits, growing his benefit two-thirds percent per month, eight percent per year going forward. But the big change is, if he hasn't asked to have payments suspended by April 29th, then you have to be at full retirement age, incidentally, to file and suspend. You can't do it at age 63 or 64. But if file and suspend after that point, Social Security will also be required to suspend the benefit payments to anyone else collecting on the record. So in the old rules, the husband could defer and the wife could still be paid a spousal benefit even though he wasn't collecting anything. Under the new rules, you file and suspend April 30th on. Social Security will be happy to suspend the person's payments, but they'll also be required to suspend the benefits, in our example, to the wife. So she won't be able to collect that additional spousal money unless and until he actually begins to collect his own retirement benefit. So that's the big change that's coming. 
you know, those are changes that I, I people need to understand. Now, if they have not, here we are, it's March, it's Good Friday. Uh, if people aren't really paying attention to this, is it too late or do we, or do you still try to get into this whole, that's why we wanted to do the program at this point. We've got until April the 30th. And you know, sometimes, Kurt, Social Security can be a little sluggish. Is it, it can we still jump in and get filed or what do you, what oh, do you sure, suggest? Absolutely. And, and the key thing is Social Security has announced that as long as you have contacted them, indicated you want to file and suspend or you want to suspend your benefit payments before that April 30th cutoff, then they will honor that request even if they haven't finished processing the action when the end of April rolls around. So um, that, that was good news, that as long as you've contacted Social Security, said, hey, I want to do this, I want to suspend, even though it may take them a while to finish working on that, the fact that you have contacted them, expressed that interest, protects you and means you'll continue to operate under the old rules. Because that's two other important things. First, anyone who is currently taking advantage of file and suspend, they have nothing to worry about. They'll continue to operate under the current rules, meaning husband, in our example, can suspend, the wife can still collect payments. Hey, the other big part of file and suspend that we had actually glossed over is one advantage to having filed and suspended is that you retain the right to go back to Social Security and ask to have any payments that have been withheld repaid to you in a lump sum if you'd like to have it done. You can, in essence, unsuspend your benefits retroactively. Let's let's, let's make sure that people get that because I think, Kurt, that is so big because a lot of times people say, well, why do I do this? Well, that may be the reason. I know some examples that I have in my head, but I mean, you always give some great examples. Why would someone want to have the ability to go back and say, hey, I've changed my mind. It didn't work the way I wanted to. I need the money. What would be some examples? Sure. So somebody hits full retirement age of 66, asks to have their payment suspended. Two years later, now, Jim, I'm up here outside of Boston, and what we experience are hurricanes. So a hurricane comes along, blows the roof off somebody's house. person has the need for money. Because they had filed and suspended at age 68, say the hurricane blows the roof off their house, they can run back to Social Security at that point, ask to have as many of those monthly payments that have been withheld repaid to them in a lump sum. Now, that's the good news. But assuming they do ask for all 24 months of payments back in a lump sum, recognize that the payout rate is going to be the age 66 rate. You, in essence, have foregone those delayed retirement increases that you've been accruing. But it's a tremendous insurance policy that in the event something happened, you had the ability to get that money back if you needed it. Contrast that with someone who at age 66 doesn't apply for benefits, intends to wait till age 70 before collecting, just sits back and engages in what I call watchful waiting. At age 68, same hurricane blows the roof off that person's house. They need the money. Well, they run down to Social Security. They apply for the first time. Under the rules, Social Security is limited to pay them a maximum of six months of retroactive payments. Whereas under the old rules, if you had filed and suspended, you could get as many of those months back in a lump sum that you would have liked. The big change is if you haven't filed and suspended by April 29th, then you no longer have the ability to have those withheld payments repaid in a lump sum. So you file and suspend at some point, say July of this year, December, six months later, you discover you need the money. You can run down to Social Security, ask to have your payments resumed. Social Security will then start your benefits up effective with the month of January. Under the new rules, no longer have the ability to get back past monthly payments that have been held. Benefits will only be resumed effective with the month after the month. Yes, to have them started up. Okay, so that's now, a big change. Yeah, it is a big change. Go ahead. I want to. I got a question for you though. Art and I are sitting here thinking. Okay, we heard you. Uh, and we were, we're we're trying to put this together in our head. Can you suspend 
and then say two years or 68 in your example, I need the money, got to put the roof on the house. I get the money, and but I still don't want to get my payment. Can I then suspend again? Absolutely. Absolutely. As long as you are over your full retirement age, even under the new rules, you will always have the ability to stop, start, stop, start, whatever. Any point after full retirement age, you always have the right to have your payments suspended as many times as you would like, right up until age 70. Well, guys, can you all not realize why we do this program? I have two guys with me in the office, in the, in the studio with me, Jason Harrington and Jonathan McAllister, and we've been listening, and this guy is just a wealth of knowledge. And, uh, you know, and it, the, the thing we're learning is that there's so much about Social Security that you need to be thinking and, and thinking through and planning and Kurt, you do it, and you do it every time for us. When we come back, I want to, I want to get kind of a summary of the of the guidelines from the guru himself. What should a person do? That we didn't dive too much into claim now, some now, and claim more later. We kind of want to do that a little bit, the combined strategy. But I, I want to really hear Kurt. You give us direction. I, I mean, there's so much, and as you go through this. I mean, I've listened to you now for four years, and I still learn something every time we do the program. Art and I both are over here going, you know, I didn't get that. I got it this time. Maybe next time we'll get a little better. Well, you do a great job for us. So when we come back, I want some guidelines, some specifics, some thoughts from the man himself, Kurt Zarnowski with Zarnowski Consulting. We're talking about Social Security and retirement. And it's something we all need to know about. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services are not affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski or Zarnowski Consulting. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice, and since every situation is unique, individuals should always consult their tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Keisha Parrish at 901-757-5757 or email at kparish at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. All right, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. I have a guest that you always enjoy listening to, the president and founder of Zarnowski Consulting, Kurt Zarnowski from Boston, Mass. And, uh, you know, he's uh, he does a great job with us talking about Social Security and retirement. And, you know, I guess, Kurt, at this point in time, we've got a deadline of April the 30th. And people need to mark that down, that if they're in the mindset of planning with their Social Security, they need some very specific step one, step two direction. So in our few moments left, we just kind of Give us where you think people ought to be doing. I mean, this is a serious planning issue. How do you get the most out of your Social Security? You've talked about the the whole idea of file and suspend, and it could go. It's going away April the thirtieth. People need to be sensitive to that. What would you give them now as advice to say? Here's the thought process you need to do as you prepare to get past this deadline. Sure, and you know, as I talk to folks, there's a lot of confusion about this whole thing. And start by having to understand that this change, file and suspend going away, you need to understand file and suspend is only applicable if you are at your full retirement age or older. Full retirement age or older. So, a whole bunch of people, if you haven't reached your full retirement age by the end of April, you got nothing to worry about or nothing that you can do right now. Because changes affect you and there's no way you can protect yourself and get 
grandfathered in under the current rules. So anybody hitting full retirement age after April 30th, they can stop listening. Anybody who is currently taking advantage of file and suspend, well, they have nothing to worry about either because they're not going to be affected by the change because you're grandfathered in and you'll continue to operate under the current rules. So the people who need to be focused on this right now are folks who will have reached their Social Security full retirement age by April 29th of 2016, meaning these folks, 66, generally full retirement age, or full retirement age for anyone born 1943 to 1954. So if you haven't reached full, if you will have reached full retirement age by April 29th and you have not yet filed and suspended, you need to recognize that if you intend to take advantage of those two elements of the strategy that we had talked about, A, that if you file and suspend, other folks on your record can collect even though you've asked to have your payment suspended, and B, if you file and suspend, you'll at some point in the future, if you need the money, be able to get it back in a lump sum if you so desire. So, you know, it's really important to focus on Who's affected by this impending change? And again, anybody hits full retirement age after April 30th, eh, you're out. Anybody who's currently filing and suspending, you can continue on your merry way. But those folks who have not, who are at full retirement age by end of April or who have not yet filed and suspended, if you decide that this is something you want to pursue, you need to get in touch with Social Security. But as I said, The good news is Social Security has announced that as long as you have reached out to them, talked to them, indicated that you wish to file and suspend, or even if you're currently collecting, if you want to have your payments suspended, they will honor that request, grandfather you in under current rules, even if they haven't finished processing your request by the time the deadline rolls around. So it's whole situation of then focusing on your individual situation. You're one of those folks who's going to be potentially impacted by the change. Are you a single individual? Or is it a situation where your wife or your spouse is 10, 15 years younger than you are? There's no spousal benefits paid, even if you file and suspend. But the issue is, with file and suspend, if you've done that by the deadline, you retain the right to get that money back in a lump sum if you ever need it. Do you have to get it back in a lump sum? No, but it represents an insurance policy in my view. So I don't really see any reason why in that situation you wouldn't want to ensure that you have filed and suspended or if you're over your full retirement age, have asked to have your payments suspended because that enables you to get the money back in a lump sum if you need it. If you are in a spousal situation, couple's case, you got to recognize that In order to have that spousal money be paid by April 29th, uh, to have that spousal money paid, you need to file and suspend by April 29th. Now, here's the other thing people need to keep in mind, that you file and suspend by April 29th. Your spouse doesn't become eligible for benefits for another year or another two years. By your having filed and suspended prior to the deadline, that will still enable the spouse to receive some money at the time he or she becomes eligible. Spouse doesn't need to be collecting right now. If they are and you suspend, they'll still be able to collect. But the important thing is by having filed and suspended before the deadline, it protects that spousal payment, enables it to be made down the road whenever it becomes due by having filed and suspended before the April 29th deadline. So I think you really need to focus on your individual situation, but if it appears to be the thing for you, get right on it, do it. And even if you haven't finished work, Social Security hasn't finished working on it by the end of April, you'll be protected by having reached out to them and indicated that desire. And that can either be a phone call or go online just to the uh, website at uh, ssa.gov. Yeah, and, and you know, and just and, and Jim, let me jump in with this. Here's another quick reminder for folks: if you are intending to file and suspend, file a new application, you haven't applied already. A lot of questions. Well, how do I indicate that I want to suspend? Is there a question that pops up on the online application? The answer is no. There's no question that asks that. 
the way you indicate that you want to have your payment suspended is by including that in the remarks section at the end of the application. You go all the way through the online application, answer all the questions. Then this last one comes up. Anything else you want to tell us? I'm paraphrasing. Right there, in as big and as bold a font as you can find on your laptop, you type in, I wish to suspend my benefit payments before the April 29th deadline in order to earn delayed retirement credits, or something along those lines. But there is no specific question that asks if you want to suspend. You indicate that in the remarks section at the end of the application. Well, guys, you could not have been any better. You just heard exactly from the source himself. He told you exactly what to do. It was very clear. Now it's your job to take the initiative and start the process, a phone call or go online. But you got until April the 30th, and he's told you who's eligible. You can't get any clearer than that. And as always, Mr. Zarnowski, you've done a wonderful job of explaining a complex subject, but giving us the insight to say we've got to do something. If we happen to be eligible to file and suspend, we should be moving. You've been listening to Kurt Zarnowski. He is the president and founder of Kurt Zarnowski Consulting. And, of course, we've been talking about Social Security and retirement. My friend, thank you so much for being with us today. You always do a great job for us. Look forward to the next time, man. Take care. Uh Uh-huh. It's been a good day with him. He always does a great job. We'll be back in just a minute. I've got with me Jonathan McAllister and Jason Harrington, and we're going to dive into charitable giving, why it's important to do the planning now, and don't wait till the last minute when it's December the 31st and you're trying to throw it together. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services are not affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski or Zarnowski Consulting. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice, and since every situation is unique, individuals should always consult their tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. Talk Money will return right after this. The last decade of the 19th century saw a wave of incorporations of towns within Shelby County, such as Madison Heights, Binghampton, and Idlewild. Memphis City officials saw this as a major public health issue, the horrific yellow fever epidemic in 1878 still being fresh on their minds. To prevent the recurrence of an epidemic, the city worked hard to improve garbage collection install modern restrooms, replace wood with gravel and the roadways, and most importantly, build a modern sewer system. These changes were neither fast nor cheap, and many Memphians were very anxious over the thought of smaller towns being near Memphis that could not afford a proper level of sanitation control. After much political wrangling between the city and state legislature, an annexation measure was passed making these communities part of the city of Memphis. The annexation put to rest the concerns over public health felt by those who had gone through the horror of the yellow fever epidemic 10 years earlier and doubled the size of the city. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. If you happen to be one of those young people that are thinking about a June wedding or you've already gotten married and it's been a year or maybe two or less and you're kind of wanting to get into that discussion about finances and it's difficult, it was at my home. I mean, face it, this is what I do for a living. I married a lady that, um, you know, when we got married, I could squeeze a nickel and the buffalo would sit down and she didn't have a clue. Now, that's reversed. Over 43 years of marriage, it's not the same way. But when you get started, it's hard to communicate with finances. So I'm going to invite you to a Thursday, March the, 20, March the 31st, at 6 o'clock in our office at our training center. It's hosted by Michael Powell and Jason Harrington, and you need to just call the office. It's titled Principles of Personal Finance. It's about how do you talk, how do you communicate, what do you do, how do you balance a checkbook. It's the basics for those of you that are recently married or thinking about it. It's free. 
Come 6 o'clock to 7.30. There's a light dinner that will be served. That's Michael Powell and Jason Harrington. All you got to do is give them a call at the office at 757-5757 and reserve your seat. And seats are filling up quickly. So that's uh, March the 31st. It's Thursday at 6 o'clock. Michael Powell and Jason Harrington. And speaking of Jason Harrington and Jonathan McAllister, they are my guests on the second half of the program. Welcome to the program, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. You know, Jonathan, I want to start with you. We we really kind of did this program a couple of months ago, years kind of a thought process anyway, about charitable giving. And I ask you to come back because charitable giving should not be something that we just focus on the 20th or 21st of December, but a lot of people do. You're absolutely right. I think a lot of that reason, though, and especially why we're talking about this now, is what's coming up on April 15th. Taxes. Taxes. Yeah, you're filling out your tax return. You're right. We talked about it in December. It was a great show. We're, we wanted to bring it back, though, talk about it again, get people to be really proactively planning with their charitable giving this year rather than waiting until December 31st to try and cut one big check. And there's the reason. There's some things about it. Memphis is the second most charitable city per capita. At the beginning of the program, I mentioned that somebody would have to be number one, and we know that Salt Lake City in Utah is number one. But there is a real mindset in this city about charitable giving. It has always been that way. And your thoughts on that, Jonathan? Why is it in Memphis? Why do we do that? I think, first and foremost, Memphis, we're right in the Bible Belt. Um, Secondly, there's a bunch of really well-known charities here, St. Jude being the predominant one that most people think of when they think of Memphis. Right. Um, Other than that, I really think it's the Southern culture. We as Southerners, we like to give back. We like to see an impact. And one thing that I want to hit on, too, is that most of the gifts that these charities are receiving are not $100 million gifts or not $10 million gifts. Oh, right. It's the individuals who are giving twenty, thirty, forty, fifty dollars a month. That represents about ninety-nine percent of the total gifts received to the majority of charities. Okay, well, that's that's a you know I think that's what people have to understand is that charitable giving is a heartfelt process, a thought thing coming from the heart. And we do now. Fortunately, in our country, we're given a tax benefit for doing that. And again, that's why we're talking about it with tax day coming up. But what can you give today? What are some of the things that people need to be thinking? Some people just think of writing a check, but there's other things you can give. There are. There absolutely are. Some of the most common ones that we see working with clients is wanting to give some highly appreciated securities, maybe some stocks that have some really good long-term capital gains in there that we can take a deduction for bonds. Obviously, you can always give cash or a check, gifting real estate, or even gifting business interest. When you say business interest, you're talking about what? I mean, what, explain that for me. Well, if I wanted to give away part of my business to a charity, that way, if that's part of my estate plan to exit that business and give that away and help that legacy to keep growing. Right, I got you. So so if you own, say, a part of a business and you say, I want to, I want to make sure that the uh, charity gets something, but the when the people buying it, they're paying the charity, they're just buying the stock. So the stock's going to stay with the company, but they're getting a charitable, actually buying it for the charity, and I get the tax deduction if I do that. Absolutely. You I, got that's, it. That's a smart thought process. That's planning. That's why we're doing the program. Is And again, let me say this to everybody listening. If you've got a question about charitable giving, you know, Jonathan knows the stuff and understands it. Give him a call. Jason Harrington knows it. 757-5757. Planning for charitable giving is not something you should be doing on the 20th of December. It is a process. It is something that you should be thinking about. Uh, if you're going to be philanthropic, think about it year-round. Don't try to throw it all together in the last last moments of December. Charity Navigator. Uh, it's my favorite. Well, no, it's not my favorite website, but it's one of the top ten. Because tell our audience what it does, uh, Jonathan. What is Charity Navigator? Charity Navigator, at its base core, is a screening tool for charities. What it does is it takes every charity across the world, or actually, sorry, in the United States, any five hundred one c three registered organization, and breaks it down. Actually, gives them a numerical score based on how much they spend on expenses, how much they spend in salaries, and then how much per dollar donated actually goes right back to the root cause of the charity. So let's take a dollar, and you're looking at Charity Navigator, and it says that 20 cents of that dollar goes to the charity, 
it's telling you that 80 cents of that dollar goes to the people that are working for the charity, raising the money and doing things like that. And that's skewed in the wrong direction. That is extremely skewed in the wrong direction. You would expect to see an A-plus rated charity the exact inverse of that, where about 80% of the dollars is going back to the root cause and 20% is being spent on operational expenses, revenue-generating activities, and salaries. You know, Jason, I know when we talk about uh, giving, and I know we kind of come up with the idea behind, you know, some people try to give an enormous amount of money, you know, but they scatter it all over the mm-hmm. place. And that sometimes is, a, is, I mean, it's up to the individual, but we talk about sometimes narrowing a person's giving. Explain that. Well, I, I think that, as Jonathan mentioned, we are, you know, in the South, we do have that culture of giving. We want to, we want to give to everything we can. Uh, and there are people out there who have a heart for that. But when you, if you're giving a, a little to a lot of organizations, your impact can be a little less impactful. Your dollars can be a little less impactful to each individual. It's, it's much better to do your research, find three or four organizations that you can really dive into. You can get to know them. You can uh, participate not only just with your money, but also with your time. Uh, you can see that organization grow, and your connection with those dollars are much greater than if you were to give to a I th- bunch of them. I think you're talking about something that so many people you know, need to think about, and that's why we wanted to do the program. It's Good Friday. It's a time of the year that we think about giving. We think about the whole idea about, for us, for me as a Christian, I'm thinking about it's the it's the pivotal point of my life and you know the resurrection of Christ sure, on Sunday and sure. those are so critical but it also gives me that moment of thinking you know how I'm privileged and uh, what can I do so instead of me giving $1000 to 75 different charities Correct. if I'm going to give and I've just used 75 I just picked a number then I could give to three charities and give 25000 and I do have an impact the other way you do have an impact your dollars have a greater impact but more importantly than just giving of the dollars you are able to connect to three organizations with your, you know, with your research and with your time and really know how that program is working rather than spreading that attention across a bunch of different other charities. Yeah, because that's an issue that I want to talk about. I mean, Jonathan, you, you know of some cases that um, buyer beware maybe or donor beware. Caveat emptor, absolutely. Well, exactly, and I guess that's a thought process. I mean – Jason's talking about the three organizations, 25, you get to spend more time, you get to know more about it, uh, and yet at the same time, instead of just spreading it all over the place, maybe you don't know. Talk a little bit about this donor beware. Donor beware is whenever you're making any sort of large decision, you obviously want to do your due diligence. And we were doing some research before the show, Jim, and came across three different things. I want to ask you a question. Out of these three charities, which one would you prefer to donate to? Cancer Fund of America, Cancer Support Services, or the Children's Cancer Fund of America? Oh, obviously all three. I mean, that's why I was thinking about three a while ago. All three of those would have been an easy. If, you know, assuming that, you know, let's say Jonathan knows them and says, hey, yeah, I'd, I'd give to them. I'd probably say, well, sure, you know, those sound pretty good. Now, let me make sure I get it. Cancer Fund of America, Cancer Support Services, and Children's Cancer Fund of America. All three of those uh, would make my list. At Children's Fund, I would, my probably, heart would, my yeah, heart would tug children, to that one. Children's just knowing would absolutely that, pick it up just quicker. Yeah, knowing I some would definitely cancer do patients. That. Yeah. And that's exactly what they're designed to do. All three of those, though, are bogus charities. Now, when I say mm-hmm. bogus, they are registered 501c3s. But here's what they do, and this is why you need to go on Charity Navigator or another charity screening tool before you actually start to donate to a charity. They stole $187 million from donors and only returned 3% of their donations to the actual root cause, meaning that 97% went to pay their executives a huge, huge salary that should have gone back to their root cause. So do your research. Now, I think our listeners need to know this. We happen to know a little bit about those three charities and the fact that they were in East Tennessee. They were in East Tennessee. And uh, the individual had actually worked for the American Consent Cancer Society until he formed these three. And, uh, and, and, of course, he had a presence, and then he became a sham artist. And, you know, the sad thing about it is IRS has some ways to do that. In fact, there's a, I read an article one time that uh, uh, John Koshin and the guy that's the IRS commissioner, and I may have destroyed his name, said that when making a good donation, taxpayers should take a few extra minutes to ensure their hard-earned money goes to legitimate and currently eligible 
charities. They should, absolutely. Because honestly, Jim, before we did the research for this show, if I would have seen those three names on a piece of paper and said, would you donate to these? I probably would. They sound legitimate. Yeah, everyone, especially as you said, uh, Jason, the charitable cancer fund that uh, you know for children, children's charitable cancer fund. That those are those are simple, easy things to do. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to say to people, I guess, is think about what you're doing. It's now it's now March, and you're going to be giving. You know you're going to be giving. Instead of waiting to December to try to make this one big substantial gift, think through it. Start now. Maybe you're making some gifts. Some of, some of the other ways, Jason, for ways to give money. Well, I mean, Jonathan, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm looking at, hey, can we tell this is on television or is this radio? I'm, <laughs> lo- I'm looking at Jonathan, and I'm saying Jason. I only do that once every show, so that's okay. What about He'll take that as a compliment. Well, I will. <laughs> um, really, beyond giving those uh, really five core items that we talked about earlier, get out and volunteer. I think that's really an underserved area. People think it's a lot easier to just write a check. Charities need money. Charities need bodies. Charities need people to get out there and actually do the dirty work sometimes. I think that's a very overlooked part of the community. You look at something like Habitat for Humanity, for instance. That's great. Great charity. Absolutely phenomenal charity. Um, you can give them $10,000, but is it actually going to get a house built? No. You, they're going to need bodies to get out there, get in the dirt, sweat, labor, to actually get their mission off the ground and get that home built. Let me say this before, because I know you're going to give us some other ways to give, but that I want to dive into that just a second, and because and, I want to drive it home. I think, in my opinion, that's probably one of the most beneficial ways to give. I, Lynn and I set up a foundation years ago, a, a donor advice fund, uh, for our family. And we have selected different charities where before we give money, we go work. And it has impacted the family. And it's done some things to help us gain insight to the charity, as you're saying, but also it gives us the insight of having accomplished something. Whether it's Habitat for Humanity is a great example or working for a charity where they're doing a, a you know some event or something where you're diving in there or going to a uh, 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 orphanage is one that, w- that the family went to years ago. So I think that's the same. I think that's what you're talking about. Spend a little time, get a little sweaty. Yeah. And get, then get, invo- you're, get then involved. You're really, if you're going to write a check to someone, find out what that check's yeah. going to. A check kind of, you can send it and wash your hands right. and move on. But I like what you're saying. So what are some other ways to give? You can give, you know, insurance policies. You know, sometimes you can set it up where you can designate your charity as a beneficiary. And once you set that up, then that's an easy way and a relatively inexpensive way, too, to to have a pretty Im- big impact at the time of your death uh, to give to a charity. We see people do that for churches. We see uh, we have a, a colleague who has done that for an organization here in Memphis. Uh, and has be, he and his wife have become, uh, you know, a donor in that regard because they're saying, hey, we can't give big amounts now. But we would like to support this charity, you know, in our lifetime, and they're going to uh, designate that as their beneficiary. And, you know, if you could, the premiums are deductible. You, yep. I mean, you're actually giving the premiums so you can do that. Of course, I want to make sure everybody understands life insurance products contains fees and mortality and expense charges and contains restrictions and surrenders and policies and stuff like that, surrender periods. So keep all that in mind, but an insurance policy can be a small contribution of sure. dollars to have a large impact in a person's at the person's death, because you can say I'm giving a hundred thousand dollars, and you end up paying just pennies of that. But that's the you know what you're trying to do is that give, and and most charities will take that. There's a lot of universities that have absolutely used insurance policies. Large, you can do it you know with a trust, and where you set up a trust where the part of the trust beneficiary is the charity. You make a one-time gift. A lot of people do a lot and, of that, and of course, then it, as, as Jonathan was telling us earlier, the volunteer, the time. You know, and then I guess I guess the thought process, guys, is that we dive into this, get advice before you jump on it, do some of the research that we're talking sure. about, spend the energy, the time, just think through it, but don't just say I'm going to wait till December the twentieth to do my planning. Well, and that and that you know, Jonathan led into that. You know, don't wait. An easy way is monthly contributions. You can set that up and do a small amount per month, and. uh and when you're doing a, a small amount per month, it doesn't have a, a real hard, harsh impact on your budget, but it's also a programmed way to not put yourself in the situation at in the end of December 
to have to write a big check. So start thinking about it now. Well, I think that's critical. I know, Jonathan, you've talked about global giving before. And uh, can you do that in less than a minute? Just give me the over, because I think it's a huge deal, Global Giving. Absolutely, Jim. Global Giving, another phenomenal website that we've talked about before. If someone can imagine, we've always talked about, or we've heard about microloans to these right. organizations in Africa, um, the Middle East, Eastern Europe, the old European bloc. This is a way, instead of giving to a large charity, it allows you to get to a project, a specific project. I was on there last week. Some of the top five right now are uh, providing preschool to 10 Cambodian children, sending child beggars to school in India, and helping 20 kids stay safe at night with solar lights. So instead of giving to just the charity, you're actually giving to the root specific, cause. And that's, right. that's a designated gift that you're saying, Absolutely. I want to give to the solar battery that keeps the lights on and keeps the kids safe. I and and the, the second advantage of going through global giving or a, a similar company like it is it allows the money to get into those countries and get transferred sometimes to the local currency, which is really, really hard and challenging. Well, if you've just tuned in, of course, I've been talking with you know two guys that are dedicated to being advisors. They do a great job, and that's Jonathan McAllister and Jason Harrington. Both of them are with the firm. They're, they're seasoned advisors. They, they know this stuff. And we've been talking about charitable giving and why. Why charitable giving? It's April. It's March. It's, you know, we're doing our taxes. Well, that's the reason why we wanted to do that. We don't want you to wait till December the 20th to decide to do it. You got to kind of start. And we've given you some ideas behind it. We told you to beware, be sensitive to it. Maybe you're going to give stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, business interest, whatever it is. Check it out. Look at Global Giving. That gives you to get, gives you a chance to dive into something specific. And, of course, the Charity Navigator tells you whether or not how many dollars do you give givings going to the actual charity. That's important. So do some planning. Do some thinking. If you'd like more information from these guys, give them a call at 757-5757. That's Jonathan McAllister and Jason Harrington. Hey, guys, thanks so much for today's program. Absolutely yes, thank super. You. Thanks Good for job. having us, Jim. Well, you know, it's been a good day. I, it is Good Friday. I hope you uh, are celebrating Good Friday. I hope you celebrate Easter. It's a big day at church. It's a big day in my life. Uh, it is all about redemption for me and Jesus Christ. And I uh, just want to testify to that. It is Easter. And we're glad to celebrate Easter with everybody. Thank you for being with us. Kurt Zarnowski, Zarnowski Consulting. Jonathan McAllister and Jason Harrington from Shoemaker Financial. Producer and board operators, Art Frederick. And my guest and content coordination is Francis Fortner. Production assistants, Eleanor Moskovich. And Mid-South History Moment was read by Rebecca Brazier and written by Drew Johnson. I'm Jim Shoemaker. I'm here every Friday helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Jason Harrington, and Jonathan McAllister are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated Securities Dealer Member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.